you're listening to the summary of the interview. For a link to the full-length episode, please check the description below. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! SLM Partners was, SLM stands for Sustainable Land Management. Um, so we started in 2012, uh, raised $75 million from a Danish pension fund, another $30 million worth of finance um, from uh, an international bank, uh, Rabobank, um, an incredibly supportive agricultural bank. Both of those groups are very uh, very supportive of the agri- agriculture. What we did was we acquired um, large areas of what we described as inherently good quality country that had been degraded by inappropriate management, unintentional but inappropriate management. And as a result of 150 years of set stocking in a seasonally dry erratic rainfall and ecosystem, productivity, production, performance, biodiversity, everything had gone south, um, had reduced. So the intention was to acquire that property um, spend money on infrastructure, water fencing, upgrades, and then change the grazing management with the intention to, over the life of the fund, a 10 to 15 year fund, double carrying capacity, half cost of production, and be a large scale, low cost producer of high quality grass-fed protein. Um, that was the project fund, the project um, thesis, and it remains the project thesis. We also said that we would, as the opportunities arose, monetize, um, I don't like the term, but ecosystem services, so carbon offsets, um, water and air quality offsets, whatever came available, biodiversity credits, and we've been able to do that as well. So um, that's the basic thesis of the fund, a very simple process, buy the land, do the infrastructure, change the management, and allow nature to recover and bring back the productivity that the land inherently is is um, capable of. Okay, well, the total amount of land that we have in in the fund itself is 480,000 hectares, actively developed with water and fencing and the infrastructure, etc., is about half of that, um, 220,000, 240,000 hectares, and the other 200,000 hectares is large-scale uh, in Australia. Mulga is a leguminous native tree, and it's a carbon project. The land that we've got is, in terms of holistic management, 
talk, talk is um, brittle tending, so it's erratic and, and unreliable rainfall patterns. Um, long-term averages, long-term average rainfall for the country we've got is around that 375 mil, millimetres a year, um, but that can vary widely. We bought in 2012 off the back of two very good seasons. Our country also gets beneficial flooding, so we'd had two very good seasons. Um, unfortunately, with conventional management, that the benefit that we should have received from that was pretty much ephemeral and um, didn't really run through. So we then ran into six of the driest years on record. Um, what that means is the first year is tough, the second year compounds off that, keep going forward five or six and it gets pretty challenging, to put it mildly. Um, the decision we made was, and I don't describe it as destocking. Um, one of the things that we do, I think is critically important, is we match our stocking rates to our carrying capacity. We have probably in the last three to six months actually had some reasonable rain. We had between 90 and 130 mils. We are still a long way short of where we, we would like to be on a long-term average basis, but that was combined with some beneficial flooding. Um, as we speak on the land that we've got that received the beneficial flooding, we are back up to just shy of 5,000 cattle. So um, on the ground, the interesting thing has been the staff, our team have been very positive the whole way through because they can see the benefits of the decisions we're making. They can see that playing out on the land. And especially after we did get the rain event and the flooding that came through, it is noticeable the difference in response of our country managed appropriately or managed the way that we consider to be the correct way to manage it compared to conventionally managed country over the fence on our neighbours' properties. The interesting thing is on, on the land itself, and I probably somewhat facetiously described it to some of the people who were asking about how we were going, some of the neighbours, I said, the way I describe it is we're going broke slower than anybody else. We weren't making money because we had no stock, obviously, but because we weren't feeding and we weren't degrading our ecosystem, We were holding our own and we were actually in a position that when the rain did come, the, the, the very interesting observation from several of our managers and you could see it on the land was that our land had far less runoff. So this is land that has been parched and desperately looking for rain for five or six years. And when the rain event did turn up, the amount of land that rejected that rain was terrifyingly disheartening. It was just shocking. that. You know, nice, steady, gentle rain, but it ran off because the land had been so degraded that it was unable to accept that rain when it did arrive. We had very little runoff in our country, which means that what we did was we got the benefit of the moisture when it did turn up. That will take time to build on that again and again, but you start to build an ecosystem that actually accepts the moisture when, it, when it's available, um, whereas in a lot of cases, a lot of these seasonally dry ecosystems have been so degraded that they actually reject the thing that they most desperately need when nature does provide it, which is fairly perverse but um, unfortunate reality. I think that the gap you've got is between a project size that makes sense 
from a, a, a third-party manager like an SLM to run, where you have to have a certain amount of capital involved to be able to generate enough fees to be able to pay for the people that need to be there to run the project. So there's a certain minimum size and how you balance that minimum size up with a project that makes sense with the requirement for the larger institutions to have to be able to deploy their capital in big chunks. Um, so some of these you know, multi-billion dollar institutions, um, pension funds and, and high net like, um, sovereign wealth funds, etc., want to be able to write a, a single ticket of $100 million or $500 million, um, but they don't want to be the only investors, which means they're looking for you know, investable product that's 250 to 500 to a billion dollars, um, which is pretty hard to make sense of in the regenerative space. The biggest constraint is probably the gap that you've got is somebody coming into investing in regenerative ag, there is a transition period. So for an investor to come into the program, what they've got to do is really have a reporting time frame. They've got to have a, an overall picture that's at least a 15-year investment horizon. So when they start, they're in for 15 years, um, and they probably need to look at it in year five and year 10 and not worry about in the middle. You just listen to the summary of the interview. For the full-length interview, please find the link in the description below. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.